for checking out the latest edition of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. On this episode, I spoke with three different entertainers in July 2020 who are doing big things independently and on their own terms. And those people are Sinbad, Matt Hardy, and Andre Komal. First up is my interview with Sinbad. Yes, that Sinbad. As somebody who was born in the early 1980s, Sinbad is one of the first comedians that I was probably aware of. It wasn't just because of the movie Necessary Roughness, which is one of my favorites growing up. It wasn't just because of his stand-up specials on HBO. It wasn't just because he had that sitcom on Fox for a few years. He was everywhere. He's one of the first comedians who really crossed over into pop culture in a big way. And we spoke right before he was scheduled to appear as part of the Agapal Live webcast, which was featuring top performers within pop, hip-hop, soul, R&B, gospel, and comedy. Great cause, to say the very least. But we delved into a lot more than that, including Sid Bad's Detroit roots and his musical influences and all that. Great guy. I could have spoken to him for two more hours. In fact, hopefully he's on the Paltrowcast again in the near future. Hey, Sinbad. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, what's up, man? You got that big event coming up in a couple of weeks. When did you find out that you were part of it? It was about, dude, this has been going on for about, oh man, about uh, three, four months. Dude, right, right, I think it was March or April. They've been talking about it and been talking about it. And then I don't know what had happened to it, you know, and then I was reading up on XOD, man, on, on demand and, and what they're trying to do. And it's, it's incredible what that what that company is about. And it became a big event. So I kept it, mean, I love you. First, I love your pinball machine. I like your Pac-Man, bro. <laughs> Thank you that. very much, man. In, in the, is that in the, in the living room, man? Is that in the living room? That's in the living room. Uh, the wife let me have it. And, I'm going to say uh, you must be single. I'm going <laughs> to say you must be a single man, bro, because because that's never that's never been done. Uh, you know what? At first she said, yeah, fine. Then I know she was playing it more than me. Then I realized Ooh. it's good furniture to just oh. have an arcade game. Do you have one in your home? Dude, I had one. Like, when I, my, my wife and I were divorced for... Uh, you know, 11 years, said my other house. Dude, I had the one, the race car one, where you sit in the race car. Dude, I had two of them in the living room. It was in the, in the alcove. It was perfect. But when I got back, everything had to go. Inevitability. Yeah. Well, you do one or two go. gigs, and then you can get another one. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but back to you, like, this upcoming event is super star-studded. This event that it's it's being put on a big network and all that. Are you just hosting or are you doing a little stand up? No, I just have yeah. a segment. I have a, uh, I have a segment. At first I thought I was gonna host some stuff and there's, I think there's four or five comics sprinkled throughout. I know you got uh, uh, Paul Rodriguez is one of the comics. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I'm trying to think who the other comics are because I don't even have the full list. There's so many, it, this thing got so big, this gobble got so big 
They got so I mean, you got a gospel section, you got a hip hop section, you got a, a R and B section, they got you got yeah. comics. So it's a big, it's a really big event. Um, I'm looking at um, I'm doing a, a 15 minute segment, but the, originally they said, hey man, could you just do a 15 minute video and send it to us? I said, 15 minutes? What to nobody? A 15 minute stand up with nobody? That right? I said, obviously you don't understand what this comedy works like. <laughs> So we, we talked about it. So what I'm going to do is actually um, do a Zoom and invite some of my followers onto the Zoom so I can get maybe 100 people so in the room yeah. and have the, doing like a question and answer kind of thing so we can we can uh, make it, at least make it cool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, can I ask you about your career besides this event? Because long, long, long time fan, man. Oh, anything, man. What you want to know? So I was in the theater to see Make Me Want to Holler when you did it as the One Night Fathom event special. Yeah. And at the beginning of it, you had a bass when you were in character. And I've seen oh, yeah. videos of you performing with Victor Wooten. Of yeah. course, you were always on the road with Prince. Do you yourself play bass? I play, I, I play bass came later. I played, I was a drummer, then percussion, then uh, I learned to play guitar, then I picked up the bass. Now I'm trying to learn how to play piano. I'm trying. I thought I'd be further along during this COVID. I, no, I found out about COVID. What's you that? You said big dreams, but you got to treat it like a, a regular day. This yeah. is not like a, a special day. It takes the same kind of discipline. We thought it was going to be a miracle. I'm going to get cut up. And you realize, man, I got I to gotta get my mind right. Because the whole day can go by and you didn't do jack. You didn't even <laughs> yeah. go outside, man. So I'm learning how to play uh, saxophone. I've been trying to do that, but now I'm back on it and, and trombone. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you, in my opinion, were the first comic who is putting music into what you're doing. If if we look at the album Brain Damaged, which my friend Joe Hassan reminded me, that song turned a lot of people onto the message by Grandmaster Flash. A lot of people yeah. didn't know it before, you know, you put it on there. The music thing, is that something that you ever thought of doing, like, for real, like doing an album? Well, I got a band called Stank Nasty. And really? my alter ego's name is Memphis Red. So it's Memphis, yeah. Memphis Red. That's who you saw on Make Me Wanna Holler. That was Memphis Red that came out and played the guitar. So my my thing is, music to me was always over comedy. Even even coming up, man, I played drums coming up. So I always, from day one, I always had music involved with my comedy. Even my first standard special, Brain Damage, I came out and danced with some with some dancers. So it's always been, it's always music, music, musicians, it's always been special. They're, they're very special people. People that play music, man, uh, it's, it's a God gift, man. You know what I'm saying? Even if you're not a prodigy, it's still a God gift if you worked hard to learn yeah. it. I remember a guy once told me, I was, I was always trying to be this prodigy. I said, man, God didn't give me any talent. He said, man, we quit being lazy. He said, just quit <laughs> being lazy. I said, what? He said, 80% of musicians are not prodigies. And, and the other 20% of prodigies work hard. He yeah. said, now there's some prodigies that we'll never hear about because they didn't use the gift right, because they were prodigies. Because when you see a little kid go to the piano and just start playing and can't speak yet, that's a prodigy. Hmm. That's a gift. When a person can sit at the piano has never touched the instrument and start playing, like, how do you even know? That's a, that's a gift. Yeah. But he told me, a guy that has a gift and a guy that outworks him, you can't tell who the prodigy is or who the gift is. So you just have to outwork. You have to outwork it. You have to work it. Well, another thing that intrigues me about you is you were from Detroit before it was cool to be from Detroit. I'm from Benton Harbor. I'm on the other side. I'm from Benton Harbor, Michigan. I'm all, I'm all the way over by Chicago. I'm on Lake Michigan on the other side. <laughs> well, B, 
being a music guy and coming from that part of Michigan and all that, mm-hmm. were you around for the MC5 and Grand Funk and Alice Cooper and all that? Yeah, Grand Funk. Grand Funk is uh, Grand Funk is up there by. Uh, uh, um, Oh, come on, man. I used to go, we, we always, they always had Grand Funk Railroad. Somebody was spraying it. It's, we played basketball against them. Uh, Grand Haven. Yeah. About Grand Haven, Michigan and stuff, man. Grand Funk. See, Grand Funk was some funky white dudes. <laughs> Grand Funk, because remember, I think back in rock, you look at rock in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was kind of taken from everything. And the fact that they called themselves Grand Funk Railroad, they had respect for me for using the word funk, man. Yeah. Now, Alice Cooper, I got a chance to meet him later in my life, and he, he's cool. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a Midwest sound, dude. There's a Midwest sound. Here's, here's funny. That Motown sound that came out of Detroit, right? That's mm-hmm. the R&B. Remember, all that came from like two or three neighborhoods, bro. Mm-hmm. That big sound came from that city. But then when funk happened, it was Ohio, Dayton, Cincinnati. Right. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Somebody has to do a documentary. What is it about that? area that made it so funky man cleveland dayton cincinnati what made it so funky man yeah wild cherry good point they are an ohio band ohio, and then man. out of nowhere gap band is from tulsa is it but yeah that's not a nowhere tulsa got some funky dudes if you know anything about if you know anything about tulsa tulsa got some funky cats man remember it was it was a uh, uh, leon uh um russell uh, huh leon russell yeah leon russell was the one that found gap band so that's funny. Exactly. So besides this big event you got coming up and you just told me the band that you're doing, like everyone, you know, you're kind of waiting around going, what's coming next? But do you have any projects or things in the can that you can talk about? You don't wait for it. You keep trying to create something. You know, we're all trying to create something online, but you don't want to. I had a big idea uh-huh. and I can't get Netflix to buy it. I had a big idea. And I'm, I'm scared now they're going to mess around and do it with somebody else. I said, all you got to do is put me in a room. Uh, uh, any kind of theater, I don't care size. It could be 1,500 seat. All I need is 100 people in the audience, and give me some LED screens. I want to do the I want to do the first stand up where it's just 100 people in the audience, so I can hear laughter. But I've got LED screens and a big LED screen behind me, and I can talk to the audience at home. First stand up special where the audience at home told me what way to go. You pick my jokes. You tell me the topics right there, right live. But I want to showcase what my skill level is, and they ain't biting, bro. What about uh, what about comedy dynamics? That sounds like something they'd be all up into. Now, who's comedy dynamics? I don't know who that who that is. They've been doing a lot of specials for people. One of the first big ones they did was Bob Saget, and it's kind of like a direct to consumer model where I guess they help make it, and then it goes on the video on demand. I'm I'm, I'm looking. My I hope it's not. I hope it's not this guy I think it is because I can't stand him. <laughs> uh, well, I think it, it's a guy named Brian Volkweiss. You don't have to say whether or not that's a guy you can't stand, but I'll, I'll send some info to uh, to your assistant if if you want to be connected. You had to say it. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, I hope... I know he is. We have history. I'll, just, I'll edit this one out, okay? No, you can keep it in. I have no problem with it because I've, I've forgiven and I moved on. And it happened during the brain damage. I mean, during the uh, Make Me Wanna Holler special, bro. Oh. Yeah. Well, Shout Factory. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would get it because, let's face it, 
how many comics have had success on a, and you don't have to take this compliment, but how many comics have been having success on this level for 30 plus years like you have? Man, I, you know what? I appreciate that. I thought that was going to mean something. I thought, dude, I'm going to tell you something. I thought I was walking into a, you know, Netflix like, oh man, they can't wait to get a guy like, because there's nobody. I said, I'm, I'm like one of the few left alive. I said, still got game. It's like, you know, like, like George, what George Carlin meant to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, oh God, I'm George Carlin age now. I said, I'm that <laughs> dude now. I'm that guy now. So I'm thinking, yeah, 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 this, this is going to work. And then dude, it was like, like not interest. It was like, what? Yeah. Dude, you're talking about, it's not even blow to the ego. I'm like, what are y'all seeing? So know what I did? I sat down one weekend. I watched every Netflix comedy special. Because mm. I was trying to find the rhythm of it. And then I realized there's no rhythm. You know, it's, um, it, it, there is, there's no rhythm to it. It's, it's, um, it's, Whatever they whatever they want, whatever they're they're looking for. I, I don't I don't know what they're looking for. I don't I don't know what they're looking for. But the key is as a guy who did the sitcom thing, who hosted yeah. shows, yep. etc., you became a theater comedian and kept up the theater comedian. So when I look at your career, it's kind of like an accidental cottage industry. Do I have that wrong? As far as comedy, no. My thing was, I came in the game. You know, at that time, all there was was HBO specials. And when I when I hit my HBO special, it was the highest rated special on HBO. I think yeah. my first two were. So man, for a while, for a while, I was a man on HBO. I was doing my funk festivals. I don't know if you know, but I had a music special for five years. If you look, go on YouTube, look up Sinbad Soul Music Festival. Okay. So, dude, for five years, I took funk bands to the Caribbean, and wow. then I shot a standard special down there. Nothing but the funk. I shot that down there. So, dude, I was in uh, St. Martin, uh, Aruba, Jamaica, and, and uh, um, where else did I go? Uh, St. Martin, Aruba, Jamaica, and St. Thomas. Wow, I, I've got homework to do. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, I, I, so that music part has always been a, a big part of it and everything. But it's, it's, it's funny how um, I don't think they know. I, I don't, to this day, I don't think cats know Really, what I do, I, I say I can get on stage. I, I even offer this up to Netflix. I will do the first Netflix special where I, my special uh, Afros and Bell Bottoms was shot mm-hmm. live. Yeah, I saw that. We're not yeah. live. So I said, let me be the first one on Netflix. The first, it's going to be a first airing anyway. Let the first airing be live. And it's the audience tells me, I get a list right before the show, any subjects, and I'll do it live that way. And now with Zoom being big, because I I was I was on Zoom back then. I could it's hard to explain stuff now. It's big, but I couldn't explain it back then. So right. I'm glad all this is happening. And then I said, okay, let's make it bigger for you. I'll get give me three specials. I'll shoot them in three days in a row, all different stuff. I said you don't even have to space them out. We can do three days in the same place or right. three days. I fly to another city the next day, and I fly to another city. I said I'll give you three specials in three days. Still putting in the work. Uh, I still do stand up. I ain't gonna stop doing stand up. Also, I believe this in my heart. Yeah, it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but I'm always gonna be ready. I'm always gonna be prepared. I even think this down. I've never been off the road. Thirty five years. I've never been off the road longer than two weeks. Now you're talking about almost four months. Right. But for me, it's like an athlete with the muscles get a chance to rest. I was like, oh man, it's like 
it's like my brain is firing off in different ways that it hasn't in a long time. So I, my job is to be in shape, be ready when it comes, because we never know what's going to come. There's nothing worse than your time comes like, oh, I need to lose 30 pounds. Right. Oh, I need to. So, so my thing is just to be ready. Right. Like sports, just be ready, man. Just like you uh, showed in necessary roughness, or is it unnecessary roughness? Necessary. Some people, it's necessary. It's necessary. <laughs> well, two quick questions, and then you're a free man. And the first one, out of nowhere, you knew everybody, you worked with everybody, but I've never heard any stories of you interacting with Rodney Dangerfield. Was he a guy that you were around? Rodney Dangerfield, I met him. Rodney Dangerfield, I got a chance to meet. I was just, all these comics. I'm in Vegas. Kid, 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 kid. Oh, I look at you. You're all over the place. Look at you, man. You're loving it. Oh, I hate you. You hate you. are loving it. You're just loving it. He says, don't let it kick you in your ass. <laughs> I was like, he was just so cool. I respected him. I said, man, Rodney, you came back. You were an older man when yeah. those movies hit. I mean, he was an older man. Remember, Rodney became this person that college kids was loving. Right. Because when he did the movie, went back to school. And it's like in his older age, he had this huge career, man. Huge career, man. Right. He was on the he was on the Ed Sullivan show's Jack Roy for like yeah. twenty yeah. years before he made it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy, man? Exactly. So I'll ask the closer, man, and that's any last words for the kids. You know, man, I look at him. I, I don't know what to tell a young comic because um your path will no, will be nowhere near what my path was. Mm -hmm. My path was based on the path of those who came before me. The opportunities for them are not, not the same. We could work comedy clubs. There were comedy clubs everywhere. You could hone your craft. It's like playing basketball. I can get out there. I can play. I can play. Their playing is here online. Their playing is, is creating this persona. It's like, oh, I hope I go viral. Well, I hope you go viral, but I hope you got more than 20 minutes. Because 20 minutes becomes 10. Sometimes it becomes 5. I said, I challenge you to jump on the stage, even for no money. See, they, they're about money now. They're all like, I can get my money, I can get my money. I got sponsors, I got nine, nine trillion followers. I said, but when you go do a show, if only 3,000 people come and you don't have nine trillion followers. If you go do a show and only 3,000 people came, then that's your super fans, that's your true fans. You gotta tell the difference between a true fan and people who just follow you because it's convenient to turn the computer on. You want to develop true fans from being on stage. Next up is my interview with Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy, if you're not a wrestling fan, he's been one of the big names for over 20 years now. He got his start in professional wrestling as a teenager, really doing things the DIY way with his brother Jeff, who's also a superstar within wrestling. These days, Matt Hardy is part of All Elite Wrestling, or AEW for short. He's featured on the weekly television show Dynamite. He's sort of crossed over into the mainstream in the last five years or so because of a new character called Broken Matt Hardy. Really hard to describe this one if you're not a wrestling fan. But simply put, this guy has reinvented himself over and over and over again. And we kind of delved into that into the interview. Usually wrestlers are a little guarded. They don't like to tell you where they're calling from, what they're working on what their motivation is behind the character, that it even is a character. Matt really pulled the curtain back in a classy, tasteful, and appealing kind of way. And once you hear this, I think you're gonna be a big fan of him if you don't like wrestling, and an even bigger fan of his if you are a wrestling fan. Enjoy. Hey Matt, can you hear me? Yes, I can, how are you? 
Great, great. Thank you very much for your time. Am I getting you from North Carolina or Jacksonville? Uh, I am uh, I am at home in North Carolina, yeah. Can I start this off with a compliment? Sure. Okay. So, Matt Hardy Brand, you seem to be more aware of branding before any other wrestler than I can think of. How did that come about? Did you take courses, or what was your big realization about branding? No, I think it was just me trying to be ahead of the curve. That is something that I try to pride myself on, regardless of whatever the scenario is in wrestling. Uh, depending on like the constantly changing fan base or like what is best for your own personal interest as far as branding yourself or continuing to build a path forward for yourself. That is something I always try and pride myself on doing and, and trying to notice. Right. You were an early adopter of the internet as well. What year did you first get online? Gosh, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I was online like once it started around the, you know, 2000 or so. Uh, I mean, I grew up still, uh, actually I'm sitting in my car right now because my internet in my house is very poor right. and the internet in our car in our Escalade is, is much stronger than the internet in my house. And that's because I live out in the middle of the forest in, uh, Cameron, North Carolina, the Hardy compound. And I love being here. We have a huge chunk of land. I live here. My brother lives on the other end of the property right. and, uh, it's a beautiful place. It's where we're born and raised. But, uh, but the internet connection is very weak. I almost want to buy a whole internet tire and just put on an internet tower and put on the Hardy Compound. I'm going to come back to that topic in a little bit, but AEW, things have been going really awesome. It seems like you get to be yourself, that people are responding very well. Uh, yeah, I've been thrilled with my experience in AEW, and I can't, I honestly can't say enough good things about it. You know, I wanted to pick up where we should have left off with Broken Matt Hardy, and I did a little story that segued into that which is free that elite, which is available on my YouTube channel. If you've never seen it. And that kind of talked about how there was a new version of Matt Hardy coming to AEW. And then once I started, I mean, from the jump, my plan was to do different versions of my personas throughout time uh, as the multifarious Matt Hardy. And then ultimately my goal is to lead that into one thing, something new, kind of like put all that together into one new entity and kind of like have that be the next persona I really want to get over and, and run with? I think I know the answer based on everything that you do being kind of DIY, but did you ever take any acting classes or is this just all craft learned by doing? No, I mean, it's, you know, we're pro wrestlers and pro wrestlers aren't the greatest uh, actors because like we're athletes and whenever we perform and we entertain, we're kind of over the top. That is like what we are, are taught to do from day one, especially in the ring when you're playing to the person in the furthest row in the building, you right. know? So I, I feel like I've gotten better. I, I certainly have during promos. Uh, when I first started doing promos, I mean, I, I was just a very Southern kid with a, uh, a really strong Southern accent and just gaining confidence and becoming more educated, educated and traveling the world and just really studying my craft and, and learning what works in the context of a certain story just depending on what your character is, if it's serious or if it's like fantastical or, you know, I, I have a different promo for every different persona now in so many ways, but. I take that as a compliment. Uh, it goes in performing and I always want to, I always want to be better. Yeah. <laughs> well, the ability to go between the different versions of yourself, a lot of professional actors would actually struggle with having to, go, okay, what's my motivation? But you seem to immediately be able to improvise. So I wasn't sure if you took courses at 
UCB or something like that during some of your rare downtime? Uh, no, but that's, uh, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, I will be honest. One of the things that was the trickiest to me, now that I've started doing the first version again, which is basically, you know, V1, the Sensei of Matitude, right. uh, <clears throat> he always speaks with a certain cadence. He always speaks like this, like, as a matter of fact, Matt strongly dislikes mustard. And I noticed there were times whenever I was doing that in certain bits, and it was like I could feel broken Matt Hardy speak trying to come through. So that, that's one of the things you really have to stay focused on. You know, if I'm doing like Unkillable Matt, it's just, just me, just basically me. If I'm doing old school Matt, it's me like as an indie guy trying to use old terms or, <laughs> you know, my surge terminology. You're trying to be a little more old school in certain ways. Uh, the first version speaks like that with the cadence I was talking about. Broken Mount Hardy is obviously Broken Mount Hardy. And then Big Money Matt is just kind of a, kind of a, a wealthy jerk, you know. So that, that's, that's uh, my different motivations for all my personas. Right. And you just mentioned the terminology and all that. Your BTE segments are very popular. Was that something that you came up with or is that a collaborative concept? A, a lot of it is collaborative. Uh, I, I will be honest, though. Whenever we did this deal and Broken Matt, Damascus recognized Nick Jackson's essence of Cucamongo. Uh, that, that, that was an idea that, that we, I'd utilized in there with those guys. And they said, what well, if we did a magic trick? And then I said, yeah, and changed all the deals. And, and that was kind of like a collab. So I love working with those guys, especially on those BTE projects. The, the bugs are amazing in ring, and they, they definitely work with a, a modern new age psychology. But when it comes to like entertainment aspects, those guys are, are incredibly cohesive and intelligent and, and really understand how to keep con continuity. Like B BTE, as over the top a lot of it is, there's great continuity to the show. And uh, we have a mutual friend in DDP. How's it going with the DDPY program these days? Uh, uh, great, man. Uh, it, it's really what I needed more than anything else, just because my body has accumulated so much scar tissue and just so stiff. And I, I know people can obviously tell throughout the years and I didn't do myself any favors for the first 15 years of my career doing leg drops off the top for right. seven, eight, and then off the second, you know, night after night, after night, after night, you know, so just trying to break up that scar tissue, trying to, to regain flexibility. And I, I can feel a change. It's been two and a half weeks or so. And like my wife has been doing it with me and she seems to enjoy it because it's very fast moving. She, uh, she's from New York. So like, she doesn't like these slower <laughs> training, uh, programs. She wants to move, 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 bing, 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 New York men. So it's been cool. Having her doing it with me has, has made it a lot more motivational. And I can definitely feel my body changing and, and getting looser. And there's like a lot of the, the motions that I do during the DDP yoga that I can tell I'm, I'm more flexible with in one and a half weeks. So I'm excited to, to see how it ultimately ends up. And you mentioned New York, where I am dialing in from. You, I believe, have lived your whole life in Cameron, North Carolina. Was there almost a moment where you moved to a bigger city? I have lived here the whole while. There was a moment around 2000-ish, once my brother and I finally made it, where I contemplated moving to Raleigh just to be by the airport because we're about 50 minutes from the airport, so it was a little bit of a drive. Uh, now, fortunately, there's like one road that goes all the way straight there, so it makes it pretty easy. But I was contemplating moving there, and I remember my brother said, come on, man, you know, we have plenty of land out here. Like, you know, let's just, just stay here. It's just a drive. You know, so what? We do it you know, a couple times a week or whatever. It's not a big deal. And we're close to our dad. And, and he was right. And I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad that I uh, listened to him and, and ended up staying here. People who go through the wiki page of Cameron, North Carolina, 
We'll see just as a couple hundred people live in there, yet four famous professional wrestlers from there. Uh, <laughs> is, is that just a coincidence? Uh, I, I would imagine it is a coincidence, uh, but it is also obviously directly related to myself and Jeff growing right. and having some friends that were in this area and us all being young kids that all had big aspirations who wanted to bust our ass and, and work hard and achieve our dreams. Well, as a person that flies to different cities pre-COVID as a travel writer, cities bring me in, they say, spend a couple of days here, write some articles about what's great here. Should somebody come to the towns around Cameron? Is, is there a lot to do in the surrounding towns? I mean, Cameron is, is kind of known now for its antique festivals. It has it twice a year, uh, and COVID obviously has slowed that down. But that was a big deal. Like, people all over the East Coast would come in and spend the weekend at these antique festivals. They, there's a ton of antique shops. There's 30 antique shops in Cameron, and they have really, really unique things that they get from all across the world. So that's really the only thing that really stands out as far as Cameron goes, because, like you said, Within the city limits, there's less than 300 people as far as population goes. Uh, in, in the cities around here, there's like Pinehurst, which is a big golfing area. That's like 15, 20 minutes from me. You know, Raleigh, once again, as I said, it's like 50 minutes. It's a, it's a right. real nice city, a nice town. You know, so there's like not a lot to do specifically right here. But if you drive out and about, North Carolina is a real cool state overall. Well, three quick questions, and you, then you're a free man. And the first one is... You wrote a memoir, or co-wrote a memoir in 2003, and so much has happened since then. Is there any chance we might get a book on the next chapter of your life? Uh, I am certain that you will. And actually now I have enough material and I have lived enough of life, good and bad, to actually write a very good, compelling book. It's funny, the book that we did earlier that came out in 2003 is like we didn't have a great story to tell because of our life experiences. Although right. it was interesting just to see how we got to where we were at that, at that point in our life. But like now is like when the real book would come out and it would be like absolutely arresting. And whenever you read this book, it would like, you wouldn't be able to put it down. I mean, just, but myself and my brother, but you know, me, as far as just a single, the story of Matt Hardy, I'm sure will come out. Then when you're training, what music do you usually listen to? Uh, if I am training, I'm usually listening to, uh, a Kings of Leon. Um, I have, uh, some public enemy in there always. I have some tool and a perfect circle. That's usually the, the main stuff that's on rotation whenever I'm listening to my phone and my, uh, my music is playing. The man has great taste. So in closing Matt, any last words for the kids? Uh, the biggest thing that I would want to say is that like, I am so happy to be at, at AEW and I'm so appreciative for all of the management there and, and Tony Khan, just an amazing individual uh, in, in his own right. And he is just so, he cares so much about doing the right thing morally, I feel like. And he also cares about like treating each person as an individual and also allowing them to kind of play their own music, you know, and that's what's, that's what's so beautiful about this. Like I love collaborating with him or sitting back and like giving him my ideas and bouncing stuff off of him. And then we, we figure out what we're going to do going forward. And, and it's really important because the industry needs a place like AEW now more than ever. And if you haven't checked out all elite wrestling yet, please do. And I promise you'll end up becoming a fan because it, it's, it's great. And I know we're going to look back at this era where we're doing these empty arena matches and just having some of the, the roster and, and different people from production and whatnot in the crowd. And this is amazing. The content that we're creating during this period is absolutely amazing. When we eventually get crowds back, we're going to look back at this period and go, oh my God, that was incredible that we were able to pull that off. And even me, like 
I wrestled at the first AEW or I debuted at the first AEW empty arena match. So I haven't even been in front of a genuine AEW crowd. So I'm very excited for that day to happen in the future. But AEW, Dynamite, every Wednesday night, BTE every Monday. Make sure to check out those two things. They're definitely two of the most entertaining highlights of everyone's week. We'll be watching Fighter Fest in this household tomorrow. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Keep up the great work you're doing on all ends. Thank you. Last, but definitely not least, is my conversation with Andre Comau. If you watched The Real World on MTV in the early 1990s, you probably remember Andre from the first season of the show as he and his band Rain Dance factored really heavily into that season of the show. But there's way, way, way more to the guy than the real world, to say the very least. And that's something we spoke about within our conversation. He has a new EP out through Dave Ellison from Megadeth's record label. Dave, of course, another guest on the Paltrocast. An extreme pleasure to speak to that guy, just like Andre. Andre, as you're going to hear, is a level-headed, hardworking, pleasant, funny, fun guy. He kindly indulged a lot of my 80s metal references. When he said the thing about Wasp, he actually was attacked by a wasp in the middle of our interview, and I decided to leave that in because I inappropriately made a reference to the 80s metal band Wasp. But anyway, the key is, really liked talking with Andre. Such a pleasure right there, and I think you're going to like this one. Hey, Andre, can you hear me there? Yeah, hey there. Hey, How's it going, Darren? You don't expect rock stars to be on time, but hey, you are. Maybe it's that Michigan upbringing. I guess so. I'm also working right now, so I'm on, you know, I'm doing the, uh, I'm, I'm double upping, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you've got this new EP, Son of a Gun was the first song that I heard. When in the process did that song come together? Well, uh, it's a song that I've had a while, um, and when I was recording um, some, you know, a handful of uh, of tracks, I I wanted to, I had only demoed the song um, and uh, this was the first opportunity that I had really had to um, record it uh, uh, in a, in a way that, you know, was unlimited. Yeah. Sounds great. It's coming out or rather came out through Dave Elfson's label. Dave has his hand in a lot of pies. He doesn't just have a record label. He's not just in Megadeth. He's got the film, the books and all that. But how did you and Dave first connect or did you connect through his partner? I connected through Tom, his partner. I met Tom back in the early 2000s um, when uh, I had uh, uh, kind of stopped playing rock for a while, was playing mostly acoustic music. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe Tom was still uh, at a, you know, he was working with another label. Um, and uh, it just so happened that, you know, when I was um, uh, uh, recording the, the uh the new thing um, that a mutual friend of ours recommended uh, that I send it to him and, and it, you know, worked out. Right. And, and then of course I met Dave through Tom and had a chance to hung, uh, hang out with the, the, the both of them when they came to Los Angeles. It uh, uh, must've been sometime last year. I can't tell because you seem like you've always been a hard rock guy, but maybe Megadeth wasn't your speed. Was Megadeth always your speed, or is it more of a, since I've become friends with Dave? Oh, you know, I grew up on a steady diet of, of you know, 80s metal. I mean, I, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and uh, rock and roll, Detroit Rock City is a real thing. And, 
um, you know, I, I, that was, you know, the first concert I ever saw was Kiss with Makeup at, at Cobo Hall, um, you know, before they ever took it off. And, uh, you know, um, so yeah, I've been, a, I've been a rock fan my whole life. I did, in fact, see Megadeth way back in the 80s um uh when they you know probably on the uh gosh i'm not sure what tour it would have been but it was probably about 1987 or 1988 uh it was the first time i saw megadeth and i've seen them plenty of times after that but uh that was the first uh show anytime that i wound up interviewing somebody from detroit i wound up picking their brain about music i did that last week with sinbad a couple weeks ago with susie quattro it seems like Michigan is maybe, or rather Detroit specifically, has produced the best music scene that nobody's really cohesively pieced together as such. Every genre has been represented in, in a great way. Absolutely. It's a wonderful musical heritage. Um, and uh, furthermore, I, I grew up um, in an in a extremely musical family. My mom's seven brothers and sisters, all eight of them were a family band that were on Capitol Records and did all of the variety shows of the day. They were on Ed Sullivan and David Frost's shows. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, th those were my early years were uh, uh, being on tour with that band uh, and the caravan, the, the roving <laughs> caravan that that used to travel around the country opening up for people like Robert Goulet and Doris Day and th those kinds of, you know, uh, acts. Um, and those were my first memories. Was there ever a point in your career where people were using that as the tag to put on you? Like, oh yeah, the family band guy. <laughs> Luckily, no. I had, uh, uh, I had my own um, notable... Uh, 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 points to, to discuss early on. We'll yeah, see. I'd say you shook off the real world thing. A lot of people wouldn't have been able to do that, but with time you did, and I think that's a wonderful thing that in spite of being an early reality star, that's maybe like the third or fourth most interesting thing to somebody who hasn't yet encountered you. Well, it's nice of you to say. It's, uh, it's, it's funny how... Um, it's definitely, uh, you know, uh, let's hope it's a footnote. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to be one of the people that goes, Sue, who are you still talking to from that? <laughs> Nothing like that. But in terms of your musical career, besides having longevity, is there an accomplishment that you're most proud of to this point? Well, uh, not, not so much as... Um, uh, one moment, uh, I, I just, uh, uh, as an artist, I, I like to, you know, um, do what I, uh, what it is that I feel like doing. Uh, so it's, I guess freedom would be the, uh, uh, uh the best thing you could say about that. Hmm. Wasp. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, we're talking about 80s bands again. No. <laughs> Take your time. Right. I, never I did, you like, well, never saw Wasp. <laughs> I, I never did see Wasp. That's that's one of the few metal bands of that era that I didn't see. <laughs> yeah, so Wrong Within is the EP. And when was it finished? Uh, it was finished uh, last year. And um, we had originally uh, slated it for an earlier release this year. Um, 
but when COVID shut everything down, we delayed it a couple of months. Um, but that was as far as I was willing to, to uh, uh, sit on it. Um, and we put it out in spite of not being able to, to promote it the way we wanted to. We, we had to shift our strategy to a much more online uh, presence. Um, we'll be doing a, a live stream uh, uh, probably early next month. Um, and, um, uh, you know, going right back into the studio and, and working on a full length, which will hopefully be out, uh, early next year. Do you have anything that's concrete and booked in, in stone at this point? And it's totally fun if you don't, I like to hear where everybody's kind of at in the creative community. Yeah, I wish I did. I've been waiting on, um, there are a couple of facilities here that, uh, you know, uh, to do a proper live streaming concert, you know, on a stage with a good PA and mm -hmm. you know, proper um, uh, coverage with, you know, cameras. And um, there are a couple of facilities, but they are uh, uh, also, you know, dealing with the lockdown and their own limitations. Right. So I've just been back and forth trying to lock them down on a date um, and uh, that's the thing that's kind of holding us up. Yeah, I get my alerts from artists, things like bands in town that say so-and-so is doing a gig. And I got one this morning for the band Rat that they are playing sort of a drive-in concert in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Is that something that you have feelers out on or would you rather just wait until concerts are real than do a drive-in? <laughs> well, you know, I'd probably, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, I would, I would play, I've never played a, at a drive-in before, so I, I would probably try it just to see, you know, what it's like. Um, but uh, I am looking forward to a return to normalcy when we can just play to, you know, fans and people that want to hear music. Yeah. I only know you as a musician. Do you have creative stuff that you do besides music? Uh, well, I, I work um, in the uh, on the publishing side of the in the music business uh, for film and TV, um, and that's you know that's what I do uh, in the daytime. Interesting. I didn't know that about you. Uh, I understand you know mechanical royalties and statutory rates and all that kind of stuff. I can talk that stuff all day long. Did you know in the early days of Raindance that kind of royalty stuff, or did you have to learn the hard way? Well, it's funny. When we signed our, our first publishing deal, uh, our lawyer did a very wise, uh, gave, us a very, gave us some very wise advice um, and uh, uh, actually instructed us to, to read um, a great uh, book, um, uh, everything you need to know about the music business by Donald Passman. Uh, Donald Passman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and he gave us four copies of the book, uh, which I'm sure he billed us, uh, <laughs> you know, for, but, uh, but, uh, you know, with, with certain chapters that were, uh, uh, you know, highlighted and tabbed that we had to understand before we could go further with our, um, with our uh, agreement and our, our publishing deal. And it was great because it was a, a really, uh, it motivated me to learn a lot about um, the business. And when I moved to Los Angeles and was looking, you know, just for um, something to, you know, keep, you know, sustain me uh, while I pursue 
creative uh, endeavors. Um, uh, I got a job working for a music supervisor. Um, and uh, after that, I started working for a publisher. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I've been in the publishing world ever since. Are you allowed to say openly any of the catalogs you work on or have worked on? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I started at, at Bug Music, which was oh, a, yeah. a, a great independent publisher. Um, right now, I'm, I work for an amazing uh, company called Seven Seas Music, mm -hmm. um, where I run the creative department over there. I like to ask that kind of thing. I find that there's a lot of singer-songwriters that actually work in publishing, whether it's part-time or they have a JV. You know, a friend of mine who's in the band Superdrag, uh, I found out that he was doing that. And I said, what do you work on? He goes, oh, the Neil Diamond catalog. And that's kind of a catalog everyone's happy to hear about and hear from. And then other people go, no, it's a bunch of jingle writers you've never heard of. So don't ask about it. Yeah, no, great catalog, I'm sure. I'm sure. Absolutely. And being quarantined like the rest of us on and off, uh, any TV or film discoveries that you could pass along? Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I love uh, documentaries. Uh, I'm a big, you know, I, I'll go way back, you know, and, and watch. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Brothers Keeper, um, which is a great documentary about, um, well, just check it out. It's, uh, I go on, you know, uh, other, uh, you know, I like true crime a lot and uh, anything, you know, but I like everything else, you know, everything that everybody else likes, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, you know, the best. Yeah. And I, and I could, and I could, you know, anytime I, I go to any of those episodes, I, I could easily just get sucked in and sit there for the whole hour, you know. There's a reason that people look at those as the greats. It's not a chance there. There's no harm in liking the greats. It'd be like saying, yeah, you know, the Beatles, but what do I know? Uh, <laughs> exactly. And uh, next time I interview you, we're going to go deep on the, the winger catalog and the rat catalog and all that. But I'll ask the closer here, keeping the focus on wrong with it and all that. And that's any last words for the kids? Uh you know, just to uh, look forward to, you know, the new stuff. Um, if, I can't, uh, if I can't make it out to your town to, to play, I'll be uh, coming out with some new music uh, in the uh, early part of next year, and hopefully I'll see you in 2021. Cool. We hope to see you live here in New York, my wife included. She's not visible, but that's okay. So thank you so much for your time, Andre. Keep up the great work you're doing on all ends. Thanks so much, Darren. Thanks for checking out the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz, produced by V13 Media. Theme song by Steve Schiltz. Audio mixing by Mark Pirro. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. Paltrowcast.